This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we hear that conversation, a quick check-in. Have you subscribed to our show yet? Take a second if you can and make sure so you don't miss any of our great episodes. Thank you. Joining me today to discuss her journey is Katie Roberts. Katie, thanks for taking time today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Your journey with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis started at a pretty young age, didn't it? Uh, How old were you when you were first told you had psoriasis? So I was in seventh grade uh, when I first uh, was diagnosed with psoriasis. Mm -hmm. And then I was later diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis when I was 17. Okay. But I had symptoms showing up as early as really four, four or five And what were those symptoms that you were having? Yeah, I had a lot of pain and swelling in my joints. And as a little kid, you don't necessarily know how to articulate how you feel. But if you go back and look at pictures of me from my childhood, Mm -hmm. you can visually see there's swelling in my knees. Um, Some of my fingers are, you know, I have the, the digits, the sausage swelling in the digits going back to a really young age. And you talk about in some blogs, you do some blogging with us at WebMD, that people were telling you that these were growing pains, right? You were young and, you know, as if somehow when our legs are getting bigger, (laughs) we're having pain. But that didn't seem right to you, did it? No, you know, I grew at an average pace. uh, And then in high school, like, kind of had a growth spurt and uh, late middle school, early high school. And, you know, I could articulate how I felt at that point. And I would go to the doctors and I'd be like, I'm in a lot of pain and I feel pain in my bones. I feel pain in my joints. And the doctors chucked it up to, I got growing pains. Mm-hmm. I got patellofemoral syndrome in my knee. It's a common misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I 
would go home and I'm like, why am I the only kid that's crying over growing pains? Certainly other people my age have these growing pains as well. And I just knew something wasn't right. Okay. And they knew you had psoriasis, correct? Mm -hmm. So they knew that. And you were having skin manifestations at that time as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So when I was in seventh grade, um, I went on a school field trip and I came home with the chicken pox. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was an easy diagnosis for the chicken pox. Mm -hmm. A couple days later, I woke up and I was literally covered head to toe in what was diagnosed later as psoriasis. It literally came on overnight. And when I had that much skin coverage, it was relatively easy for the doctors to diagnose that as psoriasis. So you're dealing with psoriasis for roughly seven years, while at the same time having these joint pains. And it's an interesting story when you talk about how at age 17, it kind of was by chance that they figured out that it was psoriatic arthritis. Walk us through that. Yeah, it was a pretty wild diagnosis. Um, I was in high school, and at the time, I was, even despite the pain, I was playing a junior Olympic volleyball, and I would often come home from meets on the weekends with really swollen knees. And I'd go to the orthopedic on Monday or Tuesday, go get them drained, get a steroid injection, fix and repeat, right? This went on for a couple of years. The doctor would constantly test me for the RH factor to see if I had rheumatoid. He kept thinking I had rheumatoid arthritis, um, but my RH factor was always negative. So he couldn't quite decipher what was going on. Yeah, He happened to have his college roommate in town one weekend, right. tells his roommate, and his roommate was like, oh, she's got psoriatic arthritis. And my orthopedic had never even heard of it. And if you keep in mind, this is you know the late 80s, early 90s. Okay where scope and scale and knowledge of less common diseases was was not well known. Right. We didn't associate back then arthritis with psoriasis, no. but sometimes we still don't. So tell us what happened. Yeah. And so my orthopedic was like, oh, okay, we need to get you to a rheumatologist. Um, he had recognized that his capacity to treat me um, was outside of his scope. Okay. So he referred me to a rheumatologist in D.C. Um, where I went through a formal diagnosis process, okay. which was really process of elimination. There's still, to this day, mm -hmm. still not a test that you can get to say, yes, you definitively have psoriatic arthritis. Mm -hmm. But you point out throughout when you tell your story that you really have been this adrenaline junkie. <laughs> so in some ways, didn't you attribute that discomfort to not just about growing pains, but also that you were very physically active. Did that play a role in it? Of course, especially when I was younger and had no fear. I had no problems hanging from the side of a cliff and going 100 miles an hour down the face of a mountain on a mountain bike. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those sorts of activities wear on your body. Between the growing pains diagnosis and then being a very sort of active kid, we just kind of said, oh, well... She's a little wild and crazy. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the doctors were like, oh, you're just doing too much aggressive athletic stuff. So that often came in. <laughs> so in many ways, your disease had been progressing and no one really seemed to recognize it. Yeah. But then you started treatment 
talk to us a little bit about that and how did that impact your symptoms? Was it right away? Was it progressive? Sometimes there's ups and downs. What was your experience? So when I first got diagnosed at 17, mid-90s, not a lot of medications available on the market, methotrexate, Mm -hmm. and then pain management. Um, So ibuprofen or stronger pain management drugs, and then steroids were kind of the cocktail. We've come a long way since then. We have come a long way. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) Yeah, but that was the only thing that was available at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a very young female, I had to make some tough life decisions by choosing to go on a methotrexate treatment. And I initially started with the oral methotrexate doses that quickly got ramped up to injections and to high doses. And I rode that methotrexate train for as long as I needed to. I got very fortunate. Remicade came out. That was one of the first biologics that came out, or the first biologic that came out. And I went on Remicade. I did not have a positive experience with Remicade, but that was okay. It was, again, it was a hope, right? Um, we thought that it might not work. And so we moved on, went back on methotrexate, high doses of methotrexate. It paid a toll on my body. Liver biopsies and blood tests were the norm on high doses of, of methotrexate. And then, you know, it started to affect other parts of my body. I was very fortunate in where I lived in proximity to DC with National Institute of Health in my backyard. But by this point, you're almost in a wheelchair, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So I was on methotrexate for almost 10 years at this point. So you're in your Mm mid-20s and you're in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. The disease had progressed rapidly in my early 20s. So what happened? You you live close to NIH uh, in Mm -hmm. Bethesda, Maryland. You talk a little bit about how that's changed your life, changed the progression. What happened? Yeah, so um, my rheumatologist was at one of the hospitals in D.C., and it's a hospital that's often associated as a feeder hospital into into NIH study protocols. A study opened up at NIH. It was a study for interleukin-11. Okay. And uh, at the time, the interleukin injections were being used as part of the HIV cocktail mm-hmm. and were successful in HIV patients. So the doctors thought, oh, well, maybe it'll work for other um, autoimmune diseases, So I get into this experimental drug protocol at NIH, and it had helped. um, It was a triple-blind study, so no one knew who received the medication. Mm -hmm. I stayed on that for a year and a half. After the study concluded, I found out I did have the medication. It didn't do much for me, Mm -hmm. but the good part was is that I got into a study at NIH, and that was at a young age. So once you're in NIH, it's much easier to get into studies after that. So when I was 26, a study opened up for a new biologic that is now called Enbrel. This was before it was available uh, to the public. And I got in on one of the first trial groups of uh, the Enbrel study. And within months, I was out of a wheelchair. And not long after that, not using a walker or a cane unassisted, it gave me my life back. Um, That is an understatement, quite frankly. Wow. It gave you your life back. Mm -hmm. Why? One of the things I like to say nowadays is I don't suffer from the disease. I don't live with this disease. This disease lives with me. 
But when I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, the disease occupied my life. I was a slave to the disease. I couldn't take care of my own body. Every day that I woke up was a grace that I woke up, but it was another day faced with challenges that just seemed unbearable. Did you feel like if you didn't stop this progression, it was going to get even worse in, in terms of, you talk about how some of the doctors talked to you about what your prognosis was. Yeah. So when I was, you know, flashback to 17, um, when I got that formal diagnosis, the doctor pulled a book off of his bookshelf and turned to a page and turned to face it to me and said, this is going to be you before your 21st birthday. I was 17. And the book has a picture of a cadaver in a casket. Wow. Um, And he basically said I had a life sentence with a disease based off of how much the disease had progressed in my body. Wow. Uh, my body was shutting down at 17. And by the grace of magic, I made it to 26. I got into the study at NIH, and I had lived past my death date, what I call my death date. That 21 was my death date. Wow. That's your mindset as someone with this. Yes. What do you think about this doctor doing that? <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> if I like that approach. Did you like that doctor? That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll be back with more from Katie Roberts after a quick break. We'll be back after a quick break. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode. You're kind of pointing out this journey, how drugs have gotten much more targeted, much more focused on how the disease works. We know that these are, you know, immune mediated Mm -hmm. in in many ways. So when you started at that time, it was a new medication, Mm -hmm. a biologic, which focused on how the disease process works. That changed things for you, it sounds It did. Um, I went from having no hope Mm -hmm. and staring at a really dark future to having this bright light. It gave me the chance at 
looking through a new lens, a clearer lens. Um, And for the first time in a long time, I had hope of a future. I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but (laughs) talk about how you're in a wheelchair in your mid-20s, and now you're walking and getting your life back. Are you being active again, or are you? were you able to resume being an adrenaline junkie? Not immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure. That took a while. Mm-hmm. It took a while for my body to recoup and repair itself yeah. um, from the years of progressive damage. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, fast forward to today, I am a stand-up paddleboard racer, and I travel wow. all over the country for races. Mm-hmm. I am a competitive power lifter, wow. and I practice yoga seven days a week, mm-hmm. religiously. <laughs> well, what advice do you have for someone who's just getting diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis? What would you tell them? When I talk to someone that's newly diagnosed, regardless of their age, know that there are options. This is not 1980 anymore. So we have options, whether it's, you know, medications that can help manage the disease symptoms or slow the progression of the disease, or it's alternative treatments like acupuncture, massage therapy, et cetera, um, that can help manage other aspects of the body that drive inflammation. There are options. We have options. And that alone gives me hope. And then also seeing what's happening in the research world gives me even more hope that in my lifetime, I would love to be able to see a cure for this disease. Tell us how people can learn more about you and what you're doing. Well, as you mentioned, I um, have a patient perspectives blog on the WebMD website. Um, So you can check that out. I'm also active with the Arthritis Foundation and the National Psoriasis Foundation. Um, I'm a patient advocate there, so I'm often advocating um, in D.C. or my local state level on policy change. Um, So you can check me out over there as well. Well, we will do that. Katie, thank you for sharing your story and helping us all to understand that psoriatic arthritis can be a progressive disease, and we need to recognize it We need to get those best treatments that are available and do it early on, recognizing there can also be some ups and downs, but it's that journey that we want to make sure that we get patients on that's going to maximize their health and and maximize it, as you talk about, what they can do with their life. So thank you, Katie. Thank you, Dr. White. Joining me is Dr. Elizabeth Ortiz, a rheumatologist out of Dallas, Texas, and the medical director of Motto Health. Dr. Ortiz, thanks for taking time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to talk a little bit about the confusion that seems to still exist around psoriatic arthritis, even for patients who have psoriasis and they start to get joint pain, they start to have aches, and they just attribute it to either, as we heard, an active lifestyle, or they're getting older. I mean, why is that the case? We've learned so much about psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, but it still seems to persist, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. And I would even say it's 
it expands beyond just patients that even doctors can be mm-hmm. confused by it, which contributes to the problem. I meant them too. <laughs> I meant them too. I'm a primary care physician and I'm not sure. I, it's always on top of my you know, list. Yeah. You know, I think um, in general, we don't do a good job with conditions that cross multiple disciplines. And psoriatic arthritis is definitely one of those. You know, these patients can be seen by dermatologists. They obviously have primary care. Sometimes they're seen in orthopedic offices. And then, of course, we have rheumatologists. And so that can contribute to the confusion. The way I think about it, psoriatic arthritis comes in a lot of different flavors. And that creates some confusion because not every patient presents with the same type of symptoms. The arthritis might be in the hands, it might be in the back. And then what's really confusing is it can actually be in the tendons and the areas where the tendons connect to the bones, the antheses, and that can be really overlooked and not understood. Let's start with the patient. When should that be on their mind? Because sometimes you do just have a general ache and pain. How long is too long to wait to mention it to the doctor? Yeah, well, you're asking a rheumatologist, so Mm -hmm. my answer is it's never too early. It's never too early to bring it up. I think if you have psoriasis or have had psoriasis in the past and you have a new ache or pain that seems to be more persistent, that it should be on your radar to at least bring up with your doctor. What counts as persistent? Right. Is it a few weeks? <laughs> is, is it a few months? I mean, this is what people are thinking yeah, when yeah. you say that. I would say a few weeks. You know, okay. if, if you had some sort of accident or some sort mm-hmm. of trauma to an area, um, it can take, you know, like, think about wrist pain. Wrist pain can take a long time. Or you overdo it. You overdo it at the gym. Right. But is there an association with length of time of the diagnosis of psoriasis Mm -hmm. and then developing psoriatic arthritis. Meaning, I mean, you know what I'm getting at. You know, a patient may say, well, I've only had psoriasis for a year, so I'm not thinking about it. Or even a doctor Mm -hmm. may think that in primary care, you haven't had it very long. Do we know about any association with length of time? Oh, I, I wish it could be that that clear cut. Um, so on average, the patients who are diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, it'll be about five to seven years after the development of psoriasis. That being said, it can actually happen at any time. And it can even happen before the development of psoriasis, which just makes things even more confusing. And then help our physicians and, and patients as well and caregivers understand how do you get to that diagnosis of psoriatic Mm -hmm. arthritis? So, you know, you're a rheumatologist, you know, most internists and and family medicine physicians will know how do you diagnose rheumatoid arthritis. We've had advances in diagnostic testing. What about psoriatic arthritis? Yeah. Psoriatic arthritis, again, that's one of the things that contributes to the difficulty in making a diagnosis is we don't have a blood test. We don't have that autoantibody that we can rely on. It's a lot of history taking, listening to someone's experience, listening to their medical history, even family history. You know, if there's a family history of psoriasis, we definitely need to know that. And we put all of that together with some blood tests. We're looking for general inflammation. We're going to do imaging of any of the joints affected, maybe even some joints that someone isn't complaining about, but we still want to look at. And we put all of that together to reach a diagnosis. So people hear imaging. Mm -hmm. 
Does that mean x-ray? That mean MRI? What, what does that mean? So it can mean both. We start with x-rays and then occasionally we might need to move on to an MRI of the back or any other joint or area that is problematic. So here we sometimes have challenges with proper diagnosis. How important is early diagnosis for the pathophysiology of the disease, recognizing it's about joint destruction? It's very important. This is, you know, again, why it's so important that we um, educate and, and get to a diagnosis as soon as possible, because once you have any kind of joint damage, that is not reversible. We can do a really good job these days at preventing that, but we want to try to make a diagnosis and start appropriate treatment before we get there, before we have that damage. All right. So we'll be back after a quick break. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode. Once you have the damage, then it's perhaps replacement or just managing it. So what are those ways? that you prevent it? Oh, well, we have a lot of new medications. Um, you know, the world of psoriatic arthritis treatment has really exploded in the past 10 to 15 years hmm. um, with the age of biologic treatments. It started in the world of rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. and those medicines were then used for psoriatic arthritis, and we did see some benefit, but there was a large proportion of patients who weren't getting the same benefit because they're two very different conditions. And so the research then shifted and we found new targets that were specific to psoriatic arthritis, and that has allowed for some better medications. And so we do have a lot more tools in our toolbox than we did even when I was in training 15 years ago. Do you think people recognize that it's a progressive disease, as you pointed out? It's going to get worse over time if we don't do anything about it. Are we taking it seriously enough? I'm talking on the part of patients, but also clinicians as well, not rheumatologists, yeah. but yeah. other ones who they <laughs> typically see first. Yeah, I think once someone has a diagnosis, mm -hmm. then all the providers and the patient understand, okay, this is something serious that needs to be taken seriously. It's getting to that diagnosis right. that is really where the challenges are. And that's why it's so important to get that early diagnosis 
And now I'm going to put you on the spot a little. Okay. (laughs) Is it it important that they see a rheumatologist to get this right? Because you're right. People see dermatology for the rash. They also Mm -hmm. just see primary care physicians. Mm -hmm. A lot of primary care physicians are competent to do that. Sometimes they see orthopedics for the pain, and they may not be having a rash at the time Mm -hmm. uh, of their psoriasis. So what should they do if they if they're concerned about it they see another doctor should they say hey i need to go to a rheumatologist what's the right approach and i know you're biased being a rheumatologist <laughs> but still but still give your guidance yeah no i think that um and i say this acknowledging that there aren't very many of us rheumatologists out there mm-hmm. and so sometimes yeah. getting in can be difficult um but i am going to say that ultimately if there's a question it's best answered and evaluated by a rheumatologist because if the answer is yes, then the rheumatologist is the one that can determine the best treatment. And when it comes to psoriatic arthritis, our treatments, we jump to biologics for this condition pretty quickly. Because it's about preventing destruction. And we know the other medications that people have used or you know, topical and other things to address pain aren't going to address the progression of the disease. Mm-hmm. So what's this concept of treat to target? Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, so the concept is simply that we, meaning the provider, mm-hmm. the doctor, and the patient, together decide, okay, what is the target we're going for? And as the doctor, my target's always going to be remission or what we call low disease activity, which is like, we get you feeling as good as possible. Okay. I was going to say, what does that mean? That means I don't have pain or I have less pain. You have less pain and the bad days mm-hmm. are few and far between, Okay, right? Like when you have an autoimmune condition of any type, it's difficult to get rid of bad days completely, but you want them to be few and far between. And psoriatic arthritis, we have to emphasize, is an autoimmune disease. It's not a degenerative disease like osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, DJD, degenerative joint disease. It's a different pathophysiology, a different cause. Okay. Yeah. A completely different beast than osteoarthritis. So we're going to get fewer days if that's the target, right? You don't treat to like a lab correct? No, no. Sometimes labs are part of the Mm -hmm. equation that you take into account, but no, no, no. You don't treat by numbers. You treat the person. Like, how does the person feeling? What is their life like? Um, How much pain are they in? How many, how much limitations do they have? Mm -hmm. And so together you come up with your target and then you're like, okay, how are we going to get there? And what medicines are we going to use? And you do your best to individualize your treatment choices based on that person, what other conditions they might have. You know, if someone has diabetes, if someone has high Mm -hmm. blood pressure, that all goes into your decision-making. And then you see the patient monthly, every two, every Mm -hmm. three months, and every visit you go through your checklist and say, do we need to do something? Are you at target or do we need to make some adjustments? But once they have that diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis, you believe that they should have pretty aggressive treatment early on, irrespective of symptoms. Is that mm-hmm. right? So it's not as if you, you can say, oh, you're going to try, you know, some over-the-counter stuff. You're, you're still going to say, you're going to jump to those advanced therapies because it's about preventing progression right? and not waiting just for symptoms, right? Because the, the joint is going to ultimately become destroyed. Right. And I do want to make two points. One mm-hmm. is that 
we always individualize it for the person, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Um, and so we don't necessarily have an algorithm that just everyone gets put on mm -hmm. this track. Like we always individualize it. And the other thing to keep in mind is we are definitely trying to prevent joint damage, but it's also the overall burden of the inflammation that we are now recognizing has long-term effects on the body aside right. from the joints. Mm -hmm. So the higher risk of cardiovascular disease, um, those things are actually also improved with treatment to decrease the inflammation. So talk to us about the importance of adhering to a medication regimen. It really is quite important in this condition, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the way I like to think about it and we'll explain to patients is we really have two goals here. We want to make you feel better and have less pain and stiffness and be more comfortable today. And we also want to prevent the damage to your joints, to your heart, to your brain tomorrow. And so we have to keep both of those in mind when we think about your treatment. So Things for pain control, like the NSAIDs, sometimes you might need something like prednisone. That helps today. But then we have these other biologics or these other what we call DMARDs, disease-modifying drugs. And you might not necessarily feel an immediate difference with those medicines, but they are having an impact on the condition so that you stay as healthy as possible tomorrow. So you mentioned there's a lot of options nowadays that we didn't have, you know, even just a few years ago. What are some of those options for patients to consider and that they know? So when they talk to their physician, they can, you know, bring up some of the questions they might have. Yeah. So we've got two big categories of medications that we kind of think of. One are the DMARDs. It's D-M-A-R-D-S, disease modifiers. Mm -hmm. And these are our older, kind of considered more traditional medications we've been using in rheumatology. We use them for all different types of conditions, including for psoriatic decades. arthritis. Oh, decades. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. These are medications mm -hmm. that were not developed for our conditions, right? They're developed for other things that then we adopted in rheumatology because we didn't have much else. Then we we have our newer biologics, and these are targeted therapies that have been produced as a result of the research in these particular conditions. And so with psoriatic arthritis, we have research that shows us certain proteins are elevated, and so we're able to target those proteins and really have targeted therapy. And so we got a pretty, not unlimited uh, toolbox, but we do have an extensive toolbox, especially compared to what I had back in training 15 years ago. What do you tell a listener who has psoriatic arthritis, or maybe they're a caregiver mm -hmm. of someone who has psoriatic arthritis? What's your message to them? That there are options out there for them and that they don't need to suffer. I think that when it comes to psoriatic arthritis and really any autoimmune condition, it can be a very frustrating path to reach a diagnosis and then find the treatments that are going to work for you. And I feel from a patient's perspective, it takes a balance of persistence and patience because you do need to have that persistence of like, something's not right. I'm not getting better. I need to go back. Let me have a reevaluation, get a second opinion. But at the same time, a lot of our conditions, including psoriatic arthritis, takes sometimes time to really see what's going on. And so it's that balance between being persistent, but also being patient. And as far as things that are exciting, I think that 
where the field is going as far as the science and the physiology of these different conditions and including psoriatic arthritis and the different targets is always exciting. I mean, every um, conference you go to and every rheumatology conference is just chock full of new targets that we can have medications that are aimed at. But also, I think now that we have a pretty hefty um, bag of biologics, now the question is figuring out which medication is best for which patient. And I think a lot of attention is being faced um, on that question. And so I'm really excited about what comes out of that. Well, that is great. Dr. Ortiz, I want to thank you for taking time today. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. A big thank you to Katie Roberts and Dr. Ortiz for being part of our show today. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. We have a great show today, but first, take a second to make sure you've subscribed to our show wherever you're listening to podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.